Welcome to Mommy Brain Revisited, the neuroscience of parenting. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Paluski. Today it's my pleasure to talk with Dr. Catherine Dulac, who is a Higgins professor in molecular and cellular biology at Harvard University. Thanks for, for taking the time to talk with me today. So uh, my first question for you is really, uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit why you're interested in studying the parental brain. Well, uh, we started to study the parental brain about, I don't know, eight years ago. Um, so this is just was the next step after a long series of inquiries about sex-specific behaviors, sex-specific social behaviors. So um, um, previously, we were interested in uh, the sensory signals and the neural circuitry in the brain that drives sex-specific behaviors, such as mating, aggression. And we made some really interesting finding um, that had to do with male-specific behavior. And so, to, and, and we build a model based on this, on how um, the male and the female brain works, but um, uh, it was still a model and that needed to be reinforced by direct experiments on female-specific behaviors. And that's why we picked parental behavior or maternal behavior as a typical uh, female-specific behavior in mammals. You know, in mammals, obviously, mom invests enormously um, in in raising the progeny through pregnancy and lactation. So uh, mom, in, in most mammalian species, almost literally all of them, except very few, uh, mom is the primary caregiver. So that's why we started to try to deconstruct what is the circuitry of parental behavior and why is it that it seems to be expressed mainly by females. And in the meantime, we actually discovered that this secretary is uh, equally shared by males and females. And, you know, maybe we'll discuss this a little bit later, but we actually found um, uh, some type of uh, evolutionary or functional explanation of why the mammalian brain uh, has maternal behavior secretary that is both in the male and the female brain. So that's, that's a short summary of how we came into parental behavior as, as a model of, of female-specific behavior. Yeah, because I, I mean, of course, it's, as you mentioned, female-specific in many, many species, but then there's a lot of species where you have the, the biparental care, or we know with experience or exposure that, that a male can care for young. Yeah. Obviously, humans, males could maybe care a little bit more, but um, but yes, but it's interesting because it it often is a, a female specific behavior, of course, and it, I mean directly related to that often, especially in mammals, is of course a lactation. So, yeah, I mean the fact is, you know, it's interesting what I discover um, starting as a junior faculty and looking at this sex specific behavior is how much uh, the field was biased in a certain sense by uh, just societal ideology. I I absolutely didn't expect that because I expect science to be just, you know, data-driven. But in fact, um, you know, scientists looking at behavior often have this sort of uh, simplistic thought about, oh, you know, parental behavior has to be female-specific. So there has been extremely few studies about paternal behavior, when in fact, um, paternal behavior is uh, displayed by many species. Uh, Sometimes it's a, a central component of parenting. For example, the titi monkey, uh, dad is actually the primary caregiver after an, an initial period of nursing, um, which is uh, taken care of by from by female, uh, then dad is the primary caregiver. And if mom dies, the the infant don't suffer too much. But if dad dies, then they have serious uh, physical and mental consequences. But overall, 
you know, I think it's it's better to think about these behaviors as behavior for particular species. And our earlier work uh, that didn't deal with parenting, dealt with uh, aggression and, and mating behavior, demonstrated very clearly that what we consider as being sex-specific behavior actually have the neuronal circuitry present in both the male and the female brain. And so the reason an animal expresses a particular sex-specific behavior, it's not because it has that particular circuitry and not the equivalent circuitry of the other sex. It's the male and the female behavior circuitry exist in both the male and the female brain. And then there's a set of regulation that enable an animal to display the right sex-specific behavior at the right time. And this has somehow been forgotten when people discover uh, steroid hormones. You know, if you put, if you inject male steroid hormone, testosterone typically, in, in a young um, in a young female, then you masculinize the behavior of that female. If you castrate a young male, then uh, the animal is unable to display male-specific behavior. And so out of a long series of experiments, people had um, uh, uh, developed a model that became a dogma, according to which the early release of steroids in the young male brain masculinizes this brain. And at the time, people were working with steroids and, and growth factors, growth hormone, you know, factors that enable the survival of neurons, the survival of cells. And so they concluded that the role of the, the hormones, the steroid hormones, was to establish a circuitry that is sex-specific. So you have a circuitry specific to the male brain, a circuitry to the female brain. And that's why, as adults, females display the typical repertoire of female behavior and male typically the typical behavior of males. But in fact, you know, um, ethologists, people who had looked at... Um, behaviors before the discovery of steroid hormones, uh, when they observed behavior in the wild, they noticed that for every single species, occasionally a male displayed the behavior of a female and occasionally a female displayed the behavior of males. And we actually all know that. We kind of forgot about it. You know, if you observe dogs, for example, you know, you have male dogs humping on the back of other dogs, but you occasionally have female humping on the the, the back of other dogs as well as a sign of dominance. So that male-specific behavior is occasionally displayed by females. And the reason is, you know, instead of having a male brain and a female brain, you know, nature requires way more flexibility. It happens that you might need to express the behavior of the other sex occasionally. So it's there. And whether it's expressed or not, it's a matter of circumstances and it's a matter of genetics. So as you know, for parenting behavior, there are species that are clearly biparental. There are also species in invertebrates in which the male is the primary caregiver. And sometimes these species are genetically very similar. So it's not that the brain of one animal is of one species is different from the other one, is that the brain is quite similar in those species in males and females, but then there is a little switch, you know, the regulator of this behavior that is uh, depending on the genetic of that particular species and depending on the environment. So parenting behavior is fascinating because, um, you know, we discover the specific neurons that drive parenting behavior. These neurons are uh, set to go uh, in females. And they're already there. They're also there in the male brain, but they are regulated in a different manner. So I think this is fascinating because in terms of understanding behavior, social behavior, the regulation of social behavior, it gives you our data really provide a very different landscape that thinking, than thinking, oh, there's a male brain and a female brain. And, you know, you're basically stuck with whatever hardwiring you have. <laughs> Which is very yeah. convenient, you know, to some extent, ideologically, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, interesting you mentioned that. I hear uh, myself echoing. Um, because for me, I didn't, I wasn't taught about the dogma. I was taught about, of course, there's an organizational effect, but then there's activational effects, usually coming around puberty. But, I mean, it only, we do know that we, we are comprised of the same 
similar brain function, but of course the brain is very plastic. So well, the, the organizational effect was really thought as some circuitry that develop in the male brain that do not develop in the female brain. That's the way it was in terms of circuitry. That's the way that's the, the um, uh, expression of, of, of yeah. the effect. But I think, like you said, that's a very simplified version of it. And of course, there's been research over the years exploring the differences in behavior, like you mentioned, the ethological research, but of course, a lot of hormones and behavior researchers, which is part of my background as well, and your endocrinologists have been exploring the diversity within the sexes. And Well, I can I mean, tell you, believe me, that when we publish our first paper showing that the female that females can display the full range of male-specific behavior in mice, in animals that are deprived of uh, vormonasal detection, people basically told me that I didn't know how to do experiments. And, and they very kindly <laughs> offered to explain to me how to run experiments. And the reason for this is that um, the difference in our experiment from the typical endocrinology field is that we are doing behavioral experiments with normal animals. We are not castrating males, we are not overactomized females, because I think that those experiments to some extent are very useful because, you know, you can then set a particular level of hormones. Um, but in reality, hormones are extremely fluctuating, both in males and females. And if you really want to see the whole range of behaviors, you need to have animals that have normal fluctuating hormones and, and just play with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad things have advanced. For me, I mean, I, I've i focused mostly on females and cycling females, which have had a history of neglect in science in general. And I mean, although there are definitely similarities in brain chemistry, of course, the whole hormonal makeup as well as environment when young are involved or pregnancy occurs it also affects the brain so that's that's been really my my area of research yeah. and mental health um so that's always been neglected i think yeah. maybe we can talk a little bit more about your research specifically the last few years and this kind of this discovery which i think is built on i mean a lot of research on maternal brain and behavior over the past probably 30 years but really yeah. you were able to look in more detail in the medial preoptic area at galanin and galanin neurons and how they play a central role in aspects of parenting behavior so yeah. maybe you can just give us a brief summary of of that work yeah, so as you say, there has been a lot of extremely interesting research on the brain control of parenting behavior. Um, there have been uh, a lot of papers, a lot of books, a lot of reviews on how different areas of the brain combine with each other to provide the motor control of parenting, the motivation of parenting, the you know all this really uh, fascinating regulation. Of, of parental care, how also the brain of mom gets ready uh, for parenting compared to virgin animals. All of these is just absolutely fascinating. But uh, at those experiments were done with the tools of the time, uh, which mm -hmm. is, you know, typically to do ablation of a particular brain area and then see how what the effect is on parenting or doing some pharmacology to try to understand what are the set of receptors and hormones involved. So all of this is absolutely terrific, but it also corresponds to, you know, the neuroscience of the 20th century. And we're now in the 21st century, and they are tools that enable to go way more in depth and way more specifically on what specifically are the neural types that are involved? What are the genes that are involved that enable to regulate parenting behavior? Are how are neurons in different brain areas connect to each other? Is there direct wiring, indirect wiring? And how specifically are the different aspects of parenting regulated? What I found quite fascinating with parenting is that, you know, when we had looked at other social behaviors, for example, aggression, well, you know, you put two males in a cage and they kind of attack each other. Uh, you put a male and a female together, they mate with each other. You know, these are assays that take a few minutes that are very robust. 
But parenting has uh, a number of really interesting aspect, additional aspect to it. It's long lasting, um, and it has a lot of uh, interesting components. Parenting is building a nest, it's retrieving the pups, it's grooming the pups, recognizing them with auditory cues, olfactory cues, uh, touch. Uh, it's crouching around the pub. It's you know it's a lot of various aspects of um, of the behavior that that make it just extraordinarily interesting as a social behavior. Um, and so, what we decided to do is to use tools of modern neuroscience to really ask what specifically are the neurons that drive parenting in females, and are these neurons also existing in males? That was our uh, initial hypothesis. And so we use um, the expression of a gene called CFOS. It's a transcription factor that is turned on very quickly when a neuron is activated. And so what this provides is a molecular readout of neural activity throughout the brain. So if you put a female together with a pup and the female is displaying parenting behavior, if you now sacrifice the female and look throughout the brain, where are the CFOS hotspots, meaning the area that were active during parenting in the previous half hour, it tells you very specifically, um, it, it enables you to visualize uh, what are the brain areas, but also what are the specific neurons that are activated. And so when we did the experiment, we compared CFOS activity in uh, a female that was parenting compared to a male that was not parenting and actually more specifically being aggressive towards pups. And we found this beautiful, very robust expression of CFOS in the preoptic area. And so this was, there was nothing new here, you know, that the preoptic area is yeah. essential for maternal behavior has been shown over, over and over again in rodent species, in non-rodent species. So this was a very well-known fact. But yeah. what the CFOS approach enabled us to do is to now ask, well, there are not all neurons in the preoptic area are CFOS positive, just, you know, a subset of them. What, what is this subset specifically? And this is a particularly interesting question in the preoptic area because the preoptic area does a lot of other things. You know, it's involved in the control of mating behavior, the control of sleep, the control of eating, uh, thirst, aggression, you know, all sort of thermoregulation, all sort of other things. And so you have to imagine that um, uh, these neurons that are CFOS positive after parenting are actually surrounded by all sort of other neuronal population that do other things. And so mm -hmm. this is where the limit of the, the previous ablation approach are, which is if you ablate the preoptic area, not only you ablate neurons doing parent, controlling parenting, but you ablate, you know, maybe 20 or 30 or 40 other neuronal types that do other things. And so we use uh, specific molecular and genetic approaches to to try to see what is the identity of these CFOS positive cells after parenting. And what we found is that about 50% of these neurons that were CFOS positive expressed the neuropeptide galanin, and that about 50% of the galanin positive cells are CFOS positive. So not all CFOS cells are galanin and not all galanin positive cells are CFOS. This is really important because it means that we found something that was the best marker we could find at the time, but there are cells that are activated that are CFOS positive that do not express galanin, meaning there are other cell types that we had not identified at the time that we actually identify later on. Maybe I'll have a chance to talk about those uh, more recent experiments later. And there are also galanin cells that are not CFOS positive, meaning there are galanin cells that are actually not engaging parenting, that do other things. So, you know, using galanin as a marker for these neurons enable us to narrow down considerably uh, the identity of the neurons involved in parenting, but it was not 100%. In any case, it was good enough for us then to use genetic approaches to do functional manipulation. So we use mice in which um, uh, 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 galanin promoter, galanin gene promoter drive, drove the expression of specific 
uh, we call these actuator, meaning tools that enable us to manipulate um, the, the activity or, or even the survival of neurons expressing galanin. And we found that when we ablate uh, neurons expressing galanin um, in females, uh, they no longer were parenting. And if we activate these galanin-expressing cells in males that are normally infanticidal, now they are no longer infanticidal. They display parenting uh, behavior. So in other words, we demonstrate that these neurons are necessary and sufficient for parenting behavior, uh, which was uh, really, really interesting. We also found that these neurons, in fact, exist both in the male and the female brain with exactly the same number. There didn't seem to be any difference in any sexual dimorphism um, regarding this neuronal population. And at the same time, uh, about that time, my the graduate student who was doing the work, a really uh, talented graduate student, Herbert Wu, uh, came to me with an old publication from an author called Von Zau that had found that actually males are sometimes parental in very particular circumstances, which are quite fascinating, which is that a virgin male uh, is normally infanticidal. So if you put pups, they will attack the pups. But males, after they mate with a female, switch to become paternal. And that switch of behavior is, is just very dramatic. Um, they are no longer uh, infanticidal at all. But the switch does not occur right away. It occurs uh, according to the time of pregnancy, which is three weeks after mating with the female, which is exactly the time of pregnancy in mice. Now males are paternal. And these occur even when the males are removed from the cage of the female right after mating and, and make to wait for three weeks in an isolated cage. If you test these males after three weeks, they are now paternal. So the, the continuous interaction with the female is not necessary. It's just the act of mating that somehow triggers some sort of clock that you know we, we don't know what it is yet. Um, that then switches the behavior. So the reason the males have this parental secretary, like females, even if they are infanticidal, is that occasionally they actually need to be paternal. And, and, and this uh, secretary is, is made into play. And if you kill galanin-expressing cells in males, they are no longer paternal after mating with a female. So this was very satisfying because, you know, it gave us the actual precise identity of uh, the neurons in the brain that drive uh, parenting behavior. So this was the first set of work. And in a su subsequent uh, set of work that we published two years ago, we now try to deconstruct what the control of parenting means or, or, or involves or entails. Uh, because, you know, there are maybe, I don't know, you know, several thousand uh, tens of thousands of galanin-expressing cells in the preoptic area. And we wonder, you know, how are these neurons doing, controlling all the various aspects of parenting behavior? And, uh, and we did, we conducted a lot of connectivity study, so combination of connectivity and, and functional studies that enabled us to really um, understand in a lot of mechanistic details how various aspects of parenting uh, is controlled. And that is that actually, instead of having just one population of galanin neurons, there are actually different pools of neurons that each project and control the activity of one particular downstream region. One of these downstream region is an area called the pericodical gray, which is involved in motor control. And through that particular projection, uh, galanin cells or a subset of galanin cells is able to specifically control the motor aspect of parenting. And then there's another subset that project to another brain area called the VTA or ventral tegmental area. This is an area that is well known to be involved in motivation and reward. And through that particular connectivity, uh, one, the, the animal is able to control the motivation to reach the pup, not to be parent, parenting itself, not the motor aspect. That's the other population that I just described before, but just the motivation. And then we found another subset controlling the neuroendocrine, the endocrine aspect of parenting. And then finally, a fourth population 
um, that is in charge of um, suppressing other type of adult social behavior. So when you, the animals are parenting, basically now they no longer are interested in interacting with other adults. So that really provided us this just amazing uh, detail of the understanding of the various step of parenting behavior. And then finally, in even more recent finding, um, this time on in a study that was not specifically focused on parenting, but more on understanding the cellular organization of the preoptic area, we found that uh, the preoptic area actually has um, more than 70 different neuronal populations that can each be characterized molecularly. And out of these, we found that the galanin expressing cells that we had identified before actually can be subdivided into multiple populations. And out of these multiple populations, there's only one that specifically is involved in parenting. And this population can be recognized by the co-expression of galanin as well as another marker, which is the calcitonin receptor. So the neurons that drive parenting behavior is, uh, can be now characterized by the intersection of the expression of galanin and this calcitonin receptor. And we also found that in addition to these galanin expressing cells, there are also other populations that are involved in parenting. But interestingly, those populations, they do not express galanin and they also are only active in parents. So the galanin expressing cells are active and drive parenting in virgin females as well as moms and dads. But the other population that we identify are only active in moms or in dads or in moms and dads, suggesting a very interesting scenario in which you have this sort of core control of parenting by neurons expressing galanin and the calcitonin receptor. And then you have other populations that are exclusively recruited in parents and probably provide either a boost of the parenting activity or provide other aspects of parenting activity that are only found in moms, for example, nursing. So this is currently our hypothesis and, and we are trying to um, work this out in, in more mechanistic details. Okay, so that's a really nice uh, overview of such fascinating work. And what I like is that it shows that there's this interaction, of course. So you have these neuron populations. Essentially, um, you're mapping out the medial preoptic area to see which cells here or there are important, but also how they connect to other areas of the brain. Yes. And of course, galanin playing a, a central role. Because mm. Let one thing you, let me correct you for something it's not galanin okay galanin itself we have no idea what it does. it's the neurons expressing galanin the yes. reason i think it's really important is because galanin is a neuropeptide and unfortunately in the field of neuroscience right now we have a very poor understanding of what neuropeptides do and one reason for that is that we're lacking the tools the effect of of substances such as galanin and other neuropeptides is probably very important but very subtle and and depending on on the physiological status of animals they are released in many places um, so in summary we really don't know whether galanin has a role it probably does but we are not sure okay so it's the galanin expressing neurons and but do those neurons also express i imagine other things then yes they do uh, yeah. so those neurons are actually inhibitory neurons they express uh, gaba yeah interesting because i was recently at a talk here in france and and someone of course knew your work and had mentioned oh it's the galanin neurons it's like a one-to-one -one relationship you have galanin neurons and you have parental behavior or not uh, but i feel like it's a little well, much more complex than that of course they're essential but you as you mentioned there's you know, networks with other areas of the brain that play a role. And of course, these neurons express other things and they're different cell types, I guess, that are involved as well. So it's well, complex interaction, but dependent on these neurons that express galanin. Yeah, I think it's, it's clear that these neurons play an absolutely central role. They are the hub, the real, the, the node, the central node or the central hub for the control of parenting behavior. 
But then, you know, it, it's not sufficient to have just galanine cells. You also need the rest of the brain, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so this is exactly because sometimes I think people love this simplified story, but of course you need the rest of the brain that's interacting with these cells of course, because there's the input from the environment and all those different uh, aspects that, that are important, of course, physiology and the rest of the body. So, um, yeah, but it's fascinating to think that with the technology we have now, you were able to actually identify specific cell types in a specific brain area that really mediate specific behaviors. Okay. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So I guess my question then is, because now let's say we know that these are important cells that can mediate parental behaviors or are essential for parental behaviors, how can we apply this to, let's say, mental health issues around the postpartum? Mm -hmm. So would this be a, like a, a potential, I mean, obviously we don't have this techniques to do this but is this something you would anticipate that these cells are not working properly when there's there's poor uh, mother-child interactions so let me uh maybe before talking about humans just uh talk about how uh generalizable our data are you know we did this experiment in mice and so the question is you know is that a mouse specific phenomenon or what's happening in other species it's important to start that way before going into humans such that people really understand what the issues are so the neurons that express galanin that control parenting behavior that we found in mouse are in an area of the brain that uh, has been shown many many times to be uh, to have neural types that have extremely conserved function. So for example, this is the area where there are neurons that control reproduction that express the neuropeptide GnRH or another neuropeptide called, called kispeptin that is involved for uh, the trigger of puberty. And these neurons play exactly the same role, whether it's mice, it's rat, it's human, it's primates, it's fish, right? So mm-hmm. in vertebrates, overall, the different neural type that has been found, uh, identified in, in rodents, tend to be highly, highly conserved, not only in mammals, but actually throughout the vertebrate kingdom. Um, and so, and this has been shown by both experiments in animals, as well as patients that have mutation that uh, make them impaired in, in specific function. So there's really this extremely nice correspondence of functions throughout a vertebrate and and more specifically within mammals. So the expectation, therefore, would be that these uh, neurons expressing gananin exist throughout the vertebrate brain, at least in animals that are parenting, and, and therefore might have similar mode of function and similar mode of modulation. And so interestingly, there are two groups recently, Lauren O'Connell, who works on frogs, on parental frogs, believe it or not, they are frogs in South America, uh, in which uh, some species are maternal, some species are paternal, some species are biparental. What they do is they take care of tadpoles, they protect them, and they carry them to uh, um, a source of water, and they feed them. Um, and she found that uh, the equivalent of the preoptic area in this in this uh, frog exp- have neurons expressing galanin, and that either the galanin expressing cells or galanin itself seem to play a role at least in some aspect of parenting in some of these species. And similarly, Andy Bass, who is a professor at Cornell, Lauren O'Connor, I should say, is a professor at Stanford. Uh, Andy Bass, working on a particular species of fish that is paternal, that protects the eggs, also has neurons expressing galanin that are involved in that particular behavior. So you see, now we talk about mice, and now we talk about fish and frogs, and galanin cells seem to be uh, involved. So what about, you know, other species? Well, there has been a very beautiful work recently by somebody that I, I saw you interviewed in the past, uh, uh, Christian Broberger, uh, yeah. who yeah. Um, has published a paper a few months ago in rats showing that in rats, males, also, although males are not normally parental, if you impose the type of neural activity that exist in mice um, that, you know, he showed there's a particular um, um, oscillation 
of, of a, a, a control element in mice. If you impose that same oscillation in rats, now the males become paternal and they become patent thanks to these galanin expressing cells. So now, you know, you see that he's a species in which males are normally not paternal, but you can actually find a way to activate galanin cells and make them paternal. So now let's go into humans. Well, I have no idea what is happening in the human brain, but I would bet that the human brain has neurons expressing galanin in the preoptic area, and that a subset of these galanin neurons are involved in parenting behavior. And so now the question is, if this is the case, and obviously it has to be uh, identified and, and verified, if there are indeed neurons that are common between different species, that in all the species control a, an essential part of parenting behavior, how can this be used uh, to help with diagnosis or, or therapy? Well, you know, the more we know about particular um, mental function, uh, the more we are able to understand diseases of that function and possible come up with therapy of that function. So let's say, um, you know, in mice, we know what, what are all the genes and the hormone receptors and neuropeptide expressed by galanin. And in the next few years, we hope to have a better understanding of what control the function of these cells. You know, what are the, the key genes, the key ion channel, the key neuropeptide receptors or hormonal receptors that make these cells being functional in a mom and less functional in a virgin females and non-functional in a male. If we understand what provides the switch of these neurons being active or inactive, now we can see whether this could inspire some possible therapy in humans. So in humans, about 10 to 20% of women in the US suffer from postpartum depression, uh, in which they have an inability to uh, emotionally engage with their, their children, have real difficulty of being parents. And, you know, it's possible that um, this uh, new finding on galanin expressing cells uh, will bring new avenues of, of trying to help these patients. Um, you know, it's it's a hope. Uh, it certainly yeah. is not an, an immediate, uh, uh, you know, something that will happen right away. It has to go through the proper channel of uh, rigorous investigation and rigorous testing. But it is a new avenue that that is provided. Yeah, and I think the more we know, the better things will be in the long run because we can approach our, our interventions in different ways and have better tools for measurement in the brain, uh, in humans in particular. So, yeah, but it's fascinating. I love that you've showed that this is conserved by discussing the, the different literature and, of course, expect that, that these galanin-expressing neurons in the human brain would be just as important for parenting as they are in other animals. So that's really interesting. I mean, you mentioned this briefly moving forward in parental brain research, but really what questions in general would you like to see answered in terms of our understanding of the parental brain and how it mediates parenting behaviors? So I think what we've identified so far is, um, is the hardwiring, you know, how are these neurons connected and how do they do what they do. But what we don't understand at all yet is how the function of these neurons is regulated. Why is it that a mom is parenting, that a vision female is parenting, but not as good, and that a dad is parenting, but a virgin male is not parenting? You know, what are the, the, the modulators of the function of these cells? So that's a big question. The second uh, big question is, how do these neurons develop? Uh, there's something just very intriguing about a function that is expressed only in the adult, when, when are these neurons starting to be online, if you wish, uh, when the animal grows up? Uh, are they there already in, in infants and, and then uh, are ready to be triggered uh, in the adult? Do they develop later? What are the various steps of development? And then third question relate to development. Are there influences of uh, 
the experience of the young animal in the future function of these cells. And this is a really interesting question because, you know, we know behaviorally that uh, early stress or a number of early events will uh, significantly affect the behavior of the future adult. And this is true for a lot of social behaviors, and it's true for parenting behavior in particular. And so we, we are just very interested in knowing if a young animal is exposed to either stressful situation or particularly a nourishing situation, uh, how does this affect parenting behavior later on? And what are the molecular and cellular changes occurring early on that will then modulate the function of, of of these uh, the function of these cells in the adult. Yeah, so and I think that uh, we are interested. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We need a greater understanding. And I and you touched on this idea of mothering begets mothering, or parenting begets parenting, because often that experience with your parent can affect how you parent and continue on throughout generations. So. Yeah. very interesting to see that uh, early life experience of course affecting our ability to parent so much more research to be done yes <laughs> definitely <laughs> and i always ask people in in general i mean what would you tell parents today like what's the take home or what would you want parents to know about their brain function well, you know, what I noticed, uh, which I found it's really cute, is that when I give my talk, um, uh, my uh, male colleagues are very happy to know that they have all it takes in their brain, very likely, obviously, ah. they know, but that males have all it takes to be parents. And, um, and then, obviously, my female colleagues are happy to know that, you know, their male partner might also have all it takes to be a parent and can share the parental duties. Um, so I, I, I think, yeah, <laughs> we'll leave it that way. <laughs> you know, you can see how much, how much this has changed, right? Like 50 years ago, um, men or few men felt compelled to be uh, involved in parenting. But right now, you know, it's different. I mean, dads want to be involved and uh, they are not always very involved, but many of them want to be involved and, and feel that they have an important role to play. And the answer is yes, absolutely. You have an essential role to play and you have all it takes in your brain to play that role. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Because I, I've said this once before that I think, at least in my household, this is how I have two kids, but my husband could do or can do anything I can do, except he couldn't breastfeed, but he could give a bottle. Yes. Yeah. Men are there. Fathers are there. Partners are there. And they, they can, you know, they can parent just as well as a mom differently though, but they have everything. I love, they have everything they need to do it, especially in their brain. Yes. But that also speaks to the idea of the need for experience and interaction. Yep. Yeah, and there's that you know some nice research showing that primary caregiver dads and primary caregiver moms show similar brain activation patterns versus secondary caregiver dads, and I, I think that that's important for the general public to remember as well. Yeah. It's interesting actually because there has been a lot of studies. I, I know the studies in in human less, but I know in animals that you you know through exposure through pups, you can have non-biological parents be as good as parents as the yeah. biological mother and father. It's really important because uh, biologically speaking, it means there are really two, two stages. There's this really early stage when mom delivers, where all her body and her brain have been primed uh, to take care of that, you know, helpless creatures that just was born. But then there is the longest subsequent step um, in which actually there is a learning of, of being a parent. And this uh, um, entails not only the biological parents, but can involve non-biological parents as well as in human, uh, all, all the family, basically, the brother, yeah. sister, aunt, and, and you know all the uh, alloparenting that takes place. And so that indeed involves... Uh, experience and, and is absolutely critical. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I, I often hear, you know, people still talk about this, well, this maternal instinct, she just knows what to do. And for me, I also talk about it as a priming, there's you're primed, maybe more as a biological mother to care for your young, but you are still learning. So you're primed to learn, you don't have an, an instinct necessarily. Uh, but you have a motivation to care for your young and you, and you figure out things as as you you interact together. Well, it's interesting, actually, the this is something that I'm, I'm quite passionate about it and, and fascinated by, you know, the reason I did all these type of experiments is because I I want to understand what instinct means in neuroscience uh, worlds. And if you think now about exactly what you said, but um, in in the context of our finding, uh, these galanin expressing neurons are is actually the siege of parental instinct. These are the neurons that drive parenting. Uh, and you can imagine that what's happening is that in a mom, uh, a, a mom that has just uh, given birth, these neurons, exactly as you said, are primed to enable uh, mom, whether it's a human or, or an animal, uh, prime to to for for her to be a parent. But you can imagine that there are all sort of circumstances that will make the function of these cells not being you know too efficient or being extremely efficient. But, uh, you know, the parental instinct exists in the male brain too. You know, you just have to activate galanin cells and, and males will go and take care of pups or, or their infant. So in my view, this is um, the, the neural manifestation of the parental instinct. Yeah, and so I, I see your point, but I think what happens often when we talk about instinct, people just think a switch turned on. And everything, you know, oh, she gave birth, she's a mom, she knows what to do. And like you said, there has to be a priming and then a continuation of the environment. I think it's semantics of the use of the word instinct sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Yeah. So I always like to clarify when I speak to people that for me, uh, the instinct, like we imply instinct is a switch and it's not a switch, but there's definitely a priming to learn or to attend or to develop the behaviors that are necessary. So in that way, it's an instinct or those are this, you know, the, the neurons express, expressing galanin are the neurons for that instinct, quote unquote, but indefinitely there's a whole suite of different priming effects that are necessary. So it's not like a switch. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, I think it is like a switch. You think it's like <laughs> oh. a switch? It's a switch, but the switch does not always work 100%. Um, and the reason I'm saying this is that just imagine you're, you're a mouse, right? You're a female mouse. And, you know, you're constantly freaked out because you're constantly scared of your environment, of predators, of all sorts of things. And animals, they have to think about their survival all the time. You know, they are not like us, you know, being comfortable in our home. Uh, they they can be killed at any time by a predator. So survival is absolutely essential. Survival, finding food, escape, escaping predators. And then suddenly, you know, there is this little pickish thing that uh, got born. You have no idea what it is when it's your first uh, litter. Yeah. And then that thing, you know, can't do anything. You know, it's screaming, it's crying, it needs to be fed, needs to be protected, need to be, oh, it needs everything, right? And yeah. why would a female take care of that pinkish thing, this helpless individual that is so demanding? The only reason the mouse will take care of that is because galanin neurons are firing and tell the mom, you have to be a parent. This is what the parental instinct is. And so if that didn't exist, then female would never take care of their infant because they would take care of themselves. And as you know, parenting is thought to be the first behavior um, that the first uh, altruistic behavior in, in the brain mm -hmm. that is controlled by. And so if you now think about humans, well, obviously humans are way more complicated. Um, they are all sort of other uh, brain function that are playing uh, in the cortex, the neocortex. And so things are obviously way more complex. But essentially, they are still, I believe, these galanin neurons that are there to play that switch. Whether that switch works very well or not is a different question. 
but I don't think you can deny that the switch exists. In fact, you know, yeah. the, the way, in, in other words, exactly as you say, it's more complicated, right? It's more complicated yeah. than the mouse brain, but you have to be careful not to deny some of the essential biology that, that is there. Um, and yeah, I think. I, I yeah, and I think I, I agree with your, what you're saying, but I feel like in the general public, when we say instinct, it's just like, oh, she'll know what to do. She hears the baby crying. She'll know. And I don't think a mother rat necessarily knows what to do or a mother mice. No, I work don't. With yes, you're right. Exactly. But so, so for me, in the general public, the, the term instinct, I think, isn't exactly what you said. So, so for me, I agree that there's a definitely priming and then all of a sudden she's like oh olfactory cues I get that I'm gonna lick this thing Ooh, that's good oh I figured out that baby's gonna be quiet now because I licked it oh wow okay so keep going go 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 so there's like this this ability to absorb this learning process but there's not like oh baby okay we lick the baby we feed the baby I do this I do that it's not there's a, an, a desire to interact but there's not a, I know exactly what to do right now I agree I, I view instinct more as the drive rather than yes, the yes. absolute manifestation of all the fa different facets of the behavior. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. So I, but that's what I, I love about maternal behavior or parental behavior is, is you have, of course, the biological mother and she is primed to do this, but actually anyone can do this if they have the interaction or they have, you know, you, you know that they have the the brain to do it, it could just take longer or, and it will be a bit different. But there's that really uh, conserved kind of neurocircuitry and behaviors that do exist so that we can care for offspring, which I think is, is fascinating. And, and obviously we see this throughout the animal kingdom, kingdom and in humans because many people adopt children as well. So anyway i should wrap things up and let you go and thank you again for chatting with me i've yeah it's been really really great thank you thanks for listening yeah. to me <laughs> and for all the yeah. questions questions comments suggestions get in touch at mommy brain revisited on instagram twitter or facebook you can also contact me on my website at jodipaluski.com. That's J-O-D-I-P-A-W-L-U-S-K-I.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Both sides,